Hi, I'm Darren Peppard. Welcome to the Leaning into Leadership podcast, the podcast dedicated to today's hardworking leader. Join me every Sunday for leadership insight, inspiration, and a little pep talk to keep you rolling down your road to awesome. Have you ever had one of those conversations where, from the very beginning, you just knew this person gets it? This person and I are going to see eye to eye. This is somebody I want to stay in contact with. Well, that was me. That was my reaction to my first conversation with today's guest, Dr. Chris Hobbs. I met Dr. Hobbs about a year and a half ago. Like many of our connections, it happened in a similar way. We were connected on social media. I was following him on Twitter. Chris was following me. And one of the interesting pieces that I found with his work was his blog. His blog is titled, Bite Down and Don't Let Go. Yeah, that's a really super cool name, but there's an even cooler story behind where he came up with that title. When I first got on a Zoom call with Chris, I discovered very quickly how passionate he was, not only about leadership, but about his continual growth, improvement, and learning. Chris is arguably the best read person I know. He's going to give you a couple of great book recommendations during this episode. And Chris is just super passionate about so many things that have led him to have a very successful 20-year career in education. Chris has worked in the suburbs of Washington, D.C., in New York City, West Palm Beach, Florida, and currently he is in Houston. His role there is Director of Institutional Advancement at Second Baptist School. He provides global leadership in that role for admissions, advancement, communication, and marketing for four different campuses, two different models of education, and nearly 4,000 students. Chris was also named during his time in Florida as the National High School Athletic Director of the Year by BSN and Varsity Brands. You're going to love this conversation today with Dr. Chris Hobbs, and we'll get to that in just one moment. Have you registered yet? The Teach Better Conference is right around the corner, folks, and space is limited. The design of the Teach Better 22 Conference is intended to foster more than just a learning environment. Yes, the event will be filled with rich professional development opportunities shared by educators worldwide on effective grading practices and mastery learning essentials, student engagement, strategic leadership development, mentoring tips, co-teaching tips, language learner development, and so much more but it won't end there. Teach Better events also are committed to networking and building a supportive network of solution-seeking educators. Therefore, expect epic evening events to help you socialize with all members of the Teach Better family. Make sure you register now. Join us for this incredible two-day event. It is taking place October 14th and 15th in Akron, Ohio. Folks, you do not want to miss this particular event. And if you haven't registered yet, As one of the sponsors of the Teach Better Conference, Road to Awesome can give you a special code, and I'm going to give that to you in just a second, to save you $50 off of your registration. So go to teachbetterconference.com and use the code RTATB2022. That's RTATB2022, and you'll save $50 off your registration for the Teach Better Conference. I'll be there. I know there's a lot of amazing people who will, but will you? 
I will see you October 14th and 15th in Akron, Ohio for the Teach Better Conference. And now, folks, let's get to this incredible conversation with Dr. Chris Hobbs. I'll see you on the other side. All right, Chris, welcome into the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. My friend, it is really good to see you. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Darren. Uh, I do feel like we... uh the virtual world is such a weird space sometimes i you know i feel like because of watching you and road to awesome and everything that's going on social media with you all and then being involved in some of your stuff in december i feel like we know each other very well and yet we've never actually stood in the same room together and so uh it's good to see you Ah, uh, thanks so much. You know, it, it's interesting, right? I mean, we probably in the last, you know, two, three years, so many of us have built so many relationships with people that we have yet to be in the same room with. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of interesting. Uh, over over the course of this last maybe six months, um, I've been able to connect with a handful of of people, you know, that 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 I've met in exactly that way, and it's it's kind of funny, you know, when when you get to meet somebody for the first time that you've known, you know through zoom or, or whatever for quite some time that oh my gosh they're a lot taller than i thought they'd be or <laughs> they're shorter than i thought they'd be or you know whatever so i don't know it's uh it, it's it's definitely been interesting the last couple of years to say the very least there's uh social media really is social there's no doubt about that <laughs> yeah 100 percent. so uh before we dive in chris just real quick um for my listeners who don't know who Dr. Chris Hobbs is, tell them a little bit about yourself, You know what you've got going on, what you're all about, that type of thing. Yep, excellent. So uh, over 20 years now, working in education. Uh, it's all been private schools uh, up and down the East Coast. Uh, I am the product of educators. My father is uh, over 40 years now working in education, most of it in educational leadership. Uh, and so um, spent a long time uh, as an athletic administrator at a couple schools. And currently I am the director of institutional advancement at Second Baptist School here in Houston, Texas. Uh, it is a um, it's, it's a, a really, really unique time here at Second Baptist School. We are now offering two models of education, traditional education, uh, like probably many of our listeners are familiar with as well as offering a university model classical education on three different campuses. And so globally, uh, we are evolving really, really fast. And so my specific role, I provide uh, global leadership as it pertains to admissions, advancement, marketing, and communications uh, for our school, which is four campuses now. And in just less than a month now, we announced the launching of two new campuses uh, and things are are moving really fast here, so it's it's an exciting time, and it's a it's a super fun role to have in the midst of all that. Yeah, I, I recall um, the not the last time, but one of the first times I think you and I connected over over Zoom. At that time, you were still um, an athletic director in Florida, um, and then of course, uh, I think even during that time, you had said, you know, there's this possibility that my role might be changing and I might be. <laughs> you know, uh, moving to Texas. Um, what, what has that transition been like? So, so now you're, you're leading on a global scale. You were leading, you know, in the athletics area, of course, at a a national powerhouse high school, but definitely a different scope. What has that transition been like for you? Yeah. Um, so it's been a transition that, 
uh, I, I really wanted to uh, engage in. There were some wonderful things that I had learned in athletic administration. And so much of leadership is, you know, and I don't want to make people uneasy. So much of leadership is like you're testing some things. Like, how can I best organize people? How can I best inspire people? How can I best care for people? And so you, you are testing things and tweaking things. And, and hopefully for leaders, you're doing it for the benefit of the folks around you. You know, you're not doing it just for yourself. Uh, but uh, along the way, hopefully, you know, if you do anything long enough, you know, you start to learn some good lessons and hopefully you, you learn by failing and you get sharper and sharper. And so that had certainly been true of my career as an athletic administrator. And then, you know, you start to get a, you know, kind of a little suspicion that, hey, there might be a broader context for this or a different context for this. And so that was a, a small part, but a part certainly of the transition for me, uh, taking what I had learned in how to uh, quite honestly care for coaches. And does that apply in context outside of athletics? And so that is what kind of drew me here. And what has it been like? Um, it has been uh, really, really rewarding uh, because uh, at the end of the day, if you get really good at communicating with people and caring for people, then you'll probably be able to lead effectively uh, in a lot of different contexts. And so I've got a framework I use anytime I make a big transition. I've made a couple of them, not a lot, but a couple of them. And so the framework is CASA, C-A-S-A. So when I'm in the midst of a leadership transition, um, I use this to kind of guide me through that, to keep me steady, because transition is disruptive, right? Disruption is not a bad word. It's just a word, but it is complex and complicated when you go through disruption. And so to guide me through the disruption of new leadership opportunities, I use CASA. The C is connect, connect with anyone and everyone, like prioritize being connected with people. The A is ask, ask a million questions. Pretend like you don't know anything, because honestly, if you're in a new context, you probably don't know anything. Certainly, they don't care what you know uh, at that point. Uh, and so ask. The S is serve. Uh, I think servant leadership has a massive return on investment. And so find ways, big and small, to serve the people you're responsible to lead. And then the final A is aim, right? Like keep your eyes aiming towards your professional growth. So often when you go through a leadership transition, personal growth falls off the list because you're just immersed in such a new world. And it is disorienting. I mean, you don't. You don't know people's names. You don't know what key opens what door. You know, you can't find your way around campus. You know, all those things that happen when you're a new leader or really new in any context, regardless of your leadership position, you forget to keep growing yourself. And so I try and make that a aim. I keep that on the list. And so I'm just I just finished up my first year um, really relying on that framework. And it um, is super helpful. You know, the first years always have challenges, but I, I feel good that I navigated them that first year because that framework is really helpful for me. C-A-S-A. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I love I love that uh, that acronym. I, I think all four of those are really, really powerful. I actually just released a, a, a blog post yesterday. Um, a, a friend of mine um, out of the blue calls me um, early in the week. And he had just retired from education. He was an assistant superintendent and he had transitioned into the private business world, got a phone call at the start of the week. Hey, um, we'd like you to come be our interim superintendent at a, another district very close to where he lives. And of course, because he's one of the best servant leaders I've ever known, he said, yes, he started the job today, you know, as we're recording this on a Friday. Um, 
And, and what he reached out to me for was like, um, okay, how do I put together an entry plan here? I mean, what do I do? And exactly what you just talked about is so much in alignment with some of the things I told him. And in fact, what I kind of coined his first three months is the great listening tour. You know, you, you go listen to virtually everybody you can find, you know, kids included, parents, I mean, whomever. So you can learn everything you can, because I, I think what you said in there too, Chris, that, you know, they don't really care what you know. Um, they want you to know what's going on here and, and yeah. they want to, you know, you know, help you kind of assimilate that, that knowledge and, and blend it together, if you will, with, with what the current situation is. So I, I'm really curious. So you just said you just finished up your first year. It's, it's hard to believe that, that, that you've already been in this role for a year, um, but I'm I'm wondering what's what's maybe one or two things you learned about yourself in this last year that maybe you uncovered that that you didn't realize in previous yeah. leadership roles. Yeah, that's that's a great question, uh, and so I, I think maybe I can frame that up through um, really what I was excited about last year, as opposed to what I'm excited about this year. And so that first year, I was really excited about the opportunity. Uh, to, you know, I've been in athletic administration for uh, probably 16 or 17 years. Uh, and so I was really excited about this opportunity um, to, to try and lead in a different context. And now this year, I'm really excited about the people. You know, it's so hard to be excited about the people last year because you don't even know them, right? And so right. this year, you know, uh, you, you know some names and faces, you, you have a little bit of familiarity. And so you can get really excited about the people and so um, last year, you know, when you're excited for the opportunity, uh, you really do have to work intensely on listening. So what I learned last year was how important it is to listen because you've got to remind yourself they really don't care what you know. Um, they really just want to be known by this new leader, you know, and so the way you make them feel known is you, you just listen. Uh, and I had a, an experience of being um, on a uh, virtual leadership seminar with a guy named Alan Stein Jr. I actually blogged about this a couple months ago. And uh, Alan was so intense with his face when we were on this this virtual seminar together. I mean, his face, and he looked like he was so intensely engaged with everything. And I just really thought to myself how important it is to use your face right. And so probably what I learned last year and um, the people here have been great. And so we really felt great about the conclusion of our first year together. And I think uh, a big reason for that is I tried to be very intentional about using my face, you know, emote to people, you know, through your face that you care about them, that what they know matters, that the answers to your questions that they have matters. And so eyebrows up bright eyes, you know, um, responding to them often in additional questions. One of the things I said quite a bit last year is I would repeat to them what I thought I heard they were saying. And then I would say, hey, am I being accurate? Is that accurate? Do I have an accurate understanding of what you just shared with me? Because, uh, you know, at a place that's evolving as fast as this, sooner rather than later, I was I was really busy playing air traffic control uh, for some wonderful departments and department heads. Um, and navigating their information and gathering it and repurposing it for 
executive level and global level meetings. And so accuracy was important. You know, I needed them to trust me that I would be accurately representing them in different contexts. And so I think a lot of that started with my face, you know, like really being intentional about my face and how important that is to people. And none of us would be surprised by that if you think about that. You know, how much of communication is body language versus how much of it is, you know, your actual voice. We've all seen that type of research where it's like 85% of communication is nonverbal, you know, and so an encouragement to leaders out there as you're going into year, whether you're in your 20th year or your first year, you know, at a place, um, be very, very aware of your face uh, and the message that it's sending. So that's probably something I tried to be intentional about last year, and I learned how important and how valuable that could be. I just love that. I mean, that's that's not something that. Uh, well, first off, it's not what I expected to hear <laughs> hear you say. That's that's for sure. Um, but but that's good. I mean, I love that. Uh, that that's something that I think a lot of leaders definitely are not super conscious about. Um, honestly, you, know, you mentioned like you know leader in their first year. Um, I know a lot of leaders that that I work with and that I'm coaching among their struggles are are right what you just also talked about which is listening and I love how you said you know not only paraphrase but then come back with am I accurate so you're you're actually checking for you checking your own understanding not necessarily checking theirs but but the other piece that that does and I I guess I want to chase this a little bit further is it validates their feelings it validates their beliefs or their thoughts just as much as as for you it's i got to make sure i'm accurate here you know we know even even our people who really struggle i mean sometimes sometimes we'll label people you know that that work in our school or in our department or or whatever as being resistant or you know being obstinate or not on board you know that kind of thing when when the truth is most of the time it's just people really want to be heard and so by doing exactly what you just described to me that's the ultimate validation of allowing people to be heard um Maybe go just a little deeper there. For we have a lot of I know first, second, third year leaders who listen into this podcast. What's what's something a little bit more? Give them give them another gold nugget because that one was so good. Yeah, yeah. So back to that response of "Am I being accurate?" or or that follow up question. Uh, there's some great um, fault leaders out there um, on like habits of coaching, you know, not coaching in athletic context, but coaching in any context. Uh, Michael Stangier that's uh, written The Coaching Habit. Uh, Scott Eblen uh, that re- has written uh, The Next Level. You know, and it's about leaders going to from the level they're at to the next level. And they both have a lot to say about follow-up questions. Stangier's got one called A-W-E. You know, when you're really trying to get down to a matter with someone or you're really trying to help them understand or maybe you just sincerely need to know where they're at um, after you've asked them how they're doing, you know, and they give you the standard answer like we always do. Hey, how are, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, Michael Stangier says, ask, and what else? You know, literally follow up with the question, and what else? You know, and he said that's when you begin to really unpack and connect with folks and find out where they're actually at. So that being said, um, am I being accurate? Um, is a leader giving people on his or her team permission to speak truth into what they believe they know? 
you know and so again it's at that point where it's it really isn't all that important in that moment what the leader knows it's it's much more important that the that the individual feels like they are known and that the leader knows what they want them to know and so i just feel like that 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 follow-up question of am i being accurate really opens the door wide for people to speak freely about uh, whatever the matter happens to be, especially when a leader is responsible to advocate for a group somewhere else. You know, in that moment, you know, you want those people to trust that you will go advocate for them in another context, in another meeting, take their concerns or their initiatives or their excitement, take it up another level. Um, that, that, that little follow-up question of am I being accurate helps to, in my opinion, open the door so those folks can sense that you really are going to advocate for them. I think in addition to that, um, it's an incredible trust builder. You know, uh, the, the amount of trust and, and I guess, you know, almost kind of in that, um, that emotional bank, you know, you're, you're making deposits constantly with those folks by yeah. saying those types of things, because now it's, you know, Hey, I can trust Dr. Hobbs. You know, I, I may not get what I want, but I know he is advocating for me or he is hearing what I yeah. have to say. So I think there's, there's just so much that, that goes with being that, I don't even want to call it an active listener because it's so much more than that. It's mm-hmm. like being an engaged listener really is yeah. what that is being. So you said something else in there and like always, it's going to bounce me into another question. It was one I was hoping we would get to. So I'm going to take advantage of this. You talked a little bit about coaching and like you said, not athletic coaching, coaching in general. And yeah. to me, I think it's one of the most important responsibilities that a leader has is to coach and grow other leaders. Now, let's go back first to your time as an athletic director and the work you were able to do to coach your coaches. And then I want to spin that forward to what you're able to do now in this role. Who are you coaching and how do you get to coach them? But like I said, let's go back first to as an athletic administrator how do you coach coaches? Yeah. Uh, so really the entire topic of coaching, you know, in my opinion, swirls around or maybe the center of gravity is feedback. Um, you know, the, the entire experience is about feedback uh, and feedback is just so important. Honest feedback, positive feedback, um, critical feedback, negative feedback, you know, like like every version of feedback that you can imagine is so important. And if you're going to do it effectively, You've got to have very tight feedback loops. And what I mean by that is uh, you can't allow feedback to be delayed um, any more than it needs to be. If you think about athletic coaching, uh, particularly in a practice setting, um, the, the best coaches are the ones that are giving just continuous feedback. There's some research out there from John Wooden, the great John Wooden's time coaching at UCLA, and he won I think it was 10 national championships in 12 years or something, you know, probably no one else will ever do it. Um, They said that, you know, Wooten's feedback was always less than 15 seconds. And yet the quantity of feedback in a practice session far exceeded anything else they ever observed or watched at any other coach. So it was just, it was continuous. It was constant. It was tight feedback loops. And yet it didn't, it didn't belabor the point. 
it wasn't like you know these massive monologues where he's stopping and just droning on it was just it was it was just constant drips of feedback and so um you know i've always thought about that and it's so easy to do that in the, the high intensity pace of an athletic practice um, but you've got to you've got to do some things in and around your schools and your organizations so that you, as a leader you're just providing you know just just tight feedback loops um, once you get in that rhythm, you can really begin to coach people up. And so in the context of an athletic director, you know, you've got to be near people to give them, you know, tight feedback loops. You've got to be around people. Um, so that meant just a lot of time at practices. It's been a lot of time, you know, uh, post game, connecting with coaches, you know, all, all those types of things. You've got to be near them. Proximity does have a big impact on how you can coach people. Now, you, you don't need proximity to lead massive organizations. You know, there's ways to lead organizationally without proximity. You know, there's no way some of the, you know, some of the CEOs of some of these massive conglomerates, you know, lead with proximity being a factor. They just can't, right? Like the, the volume just doesn't allow for it. You're gonna coach, you're gonna coach people. There's gotta be proximity. You've gotta be in close proximity to coach people so that you can nurture tight feedback loops. And so, I say that to say it's probably much easier in my context to do that now than it was in my context as an athletic director because so many of those coaches coaching was not their primary job you know in a school setting they're teachers in the hallways they're you know administrators in the hallways sometimes in many cases they weren't even working at the school until they showed up after school for practices and games and so um, to have that proximity and those tight feedback loops now is much easier because all my people that I'm, I'm responsible to and responsible for, they're all right here in the building with me all day, every day. Uh, and so interacting with them so that we can have close proximity, so that we can have tight feedback loops is is easier to do here than it was as an athletic director, though um, I loved it just because it was the context of the sport as an athletic director. You know, I, I loved that. But, you know, doing it here has been a little bit easier. Yeah, for sure. Um I think, you know, I think there's just so much that is rewarding about being able to to coach the people around you and to support the people around you. And I really, really love the concept of those tight feedback loops. Um, had not heard that story about John Wooden before. So I think that's that's really cool. I appreciate that you shared that. Um, let's uh, let's go in a little bit different direction. So okay. now instead of talking about coaching the people around you, let's talk about sharing out leadership. Mm -hmm. um, you are frequently on social media, sharing um, <laughs> unsolicited uh, leadership advice sometimes uh, is, is how you've labeled some of your tweets, which I think is fantastic. And of course, you still uh, maintain the blog, uh, Bite Down and Don't Let Go. You got to tell a little bit of the story behind Bite Down and Don't Let Go. I know the story, but I think the, the listeners need to hear it too. It's fantastic. But um, what compels you to want to share out all of this leadership information on such a frequent basis. Yeah, yeah. Um, so probably a combination of things. Probably the most important thing would be uh, it kind of lines up with some of the um, personality assessments and kind of the, the strengths and weaknesses assessments that we're all very familiar with. Whether you're talking Enneagram, or you're talking Clifton Strengths Finders, or Berkman, or even uh, more recently Patrick Lencioni's um, Working Genius. Um, one of the trends in mine would be that I am an obsessive learner and closely correlated to that is, you know, I, you want to share what you've learned 
and then closely correlated to that um, with you know my Berkman um, evaluation and certainly my Clifton Strength Finder as well. Is it matters to me that people be encouraged to go do things that are in their best interest, that are good for them, you know. And so, some people get a little mixed up on that, and they think all that sharing um, on social media is kind of about like drawing attention to yourself. Um, and and for me, you know, the thing that really gets me excited is. Maybe someone comes across a tweet, you know, they screenshot it, they send it to a friend as their attempt to encourage a friend. That friend looks back to them. Maybe that person's a leader. They feel well led, you know, and like I could care less if my name or face is on that. Um, I'm just super fired up that people are out there, you know, grabbing on to some information that helps them do what they do better and feel better about doing it. And so... Uh, encourager would be one of the trends in some of those those assessments that I've done. And so that's a little bit the genesis behind it. Um, and I put it out there. And then the, the other part of it is, too, that such a big part of leadership is metacognition, right? Like that's a that's a wild word. Metacognition is just thinking about what you're thinking about. Uh, and if you're going to lead yourself well, which, in my opinion, is a real, really big part of leading, you got to lead yourself well first. If you're going to do that, you've got to take time to think about what you're thinking about. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it, some people would call it, you know, don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. Uh, and so, um, you know, we see evidence of this all over the place, whether you're talking about uh, mental health research or mindset coaching, uh, you would even see it in, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, King David you know, would bemoan and you could tell he's listening to himself and then he pauses and he talks to himself. And so uh, metacognition is a big part of it. And and I guess Twitter in some ways is the way that I, I, I think about what I'm thinking about, you know, when I throw out stuff like that. So some of that unsolicited leadership advice tweets that I throw out, you know, is, is kind of like a, like a tongue in cheek type thing of like, hey, I'm thinking about what I'm thinking about again, you know, and, and it lands out there. So that's a little bit the genesis behind it, you know, and then I do, you know, I try to be embracing of commonly well-known principles, like, for example, leaders are readers and readers are leaders, you know, and so if you want to be an effective leader um, and you've got to consume information now in today's context, you know, that podcasts have a very, very effective place. Um, appropriate use of Twitter, you know, Twitter can be a dumpster fire sometimes, but it can also be a great professional yeah. activity tool, you know, for learning things. And so it doesn't have to be true reading, um, but you really do have to be constantly consuming best practice type information if you're going to be an effective leader. Uh, and so that, that's kind of the, a lot of what swirls around my efforts to kind of encourage people out there on social media. I think it's great. Um, and, and folks, seriously, you do need to check out Bite Down and Don't Let Go. It's such a great blog. Um, real quick, the story there. What, where does that come from? <laughs> um, so I am, uh, I, don't, I don't claim to be very mentally tough, but I am fascinated by people's persistence through difficult things on their way to achievement. And so you would see that in some of, even like some of my doctoral study bent that way just a little bit in certain ways and some of the stuff that I've published just fascinated by persistence through difficulty and, and challenge. 
Uh, I don't know if I'm good at it, but I'm fascinated by it. And so that was a trend in a lot of the themes I had when I was a varsity basketball coach. You know, I always had themes of persistence. Um, you know, we had one called keep digging one year, keep sawing, keep chewing, right? Like I had all these things. And um, I came across and I shared a story with a team one year on Winston Churchill. Uh, Winston Churchill, known for his relentless persistence as he's leading England through, quite honestly, what looked like they would lose to Nazi Germany. That's what it looked like for a long time, that that they would be the the last country to fall in Germany's takeover of Europe. Uh, and, And Churchill has these famous historical accounts where he's giving a graduation speech to an all boys school. And that's when he says, you know, we will never give in, you know, and this is in the context of like Nazis relentless bombing of England. And so what do you say to a bunch of kids that are graduating from a boys school in a country that might not even exist in a year? You know, and so Churchill famously said, we will never give in. We will never give up. He said it like 11 times in a two sentence stretch. Um, he's got another quote of, um, you know, we will fight them with broken bottles if we will have to. You know, he was just incredibly relentlessly persistent. And he used to bring bulldogs with him to parliamentary meetings. Uh, and so it goes, you know, like, don't anyone fact check me on this necessarily. I've just read these stories a couple of times through some of his biographies. And so I'm just going to go with it. Uh, and so he would bring bulldogs to his parliamentary meetings. And one of the members of parliament finally got up the courage. You know, Churchill was a was a barrel of a man who was very eccentric, very strong personality. And so he was very intimidating. And one of the parliamentary members finally got up the courage to ask why Churchill was bringing a bulldog to parliamentary meetings, which was honestly, in most contexts, probably pretty inappropriate. But I mean, he kept bringing bulldogs with him. Um, and he quipped back to that question that was asked him, they can breathe without letting go. You know, and the, the context of that is you think about dogs, they mostly have long snouts. When they bite down on something, their long snouted nose presses up against it and they can't breathe. And so, you know, it's sometimes, but bulldogs have snub noses. They've got these compact faces so they can get something back in their deep jaws, clench down and breathe without ever having to let go, you know? And so bite down and don't let go was birthed out of that idea of actually from one of my basketball players. He was like, coach, that's the best story I've ever heard. You should like, you should write about that, you know? And uh, next thing you know, I named the blog bite down and don't let go just because I do think persistence matters. Um, so much of the important things that we will accomplish in our lives will not happen fast and they will be hard to navigate at times. You know, whether you're talking about parenting kids, you know, or you're talking about leading a school, right? Like there's some research out there that you don't change culture until like year five. It takes a leader five years to even begin to move the needle on changing culture. Uh, and so like persistence just lies under is foundational to so many important things that we would like to be true about our lives. And so um, that's that's really the genesis of the blog, trying to encourage people to be intentional and persistent about leading themselves and then ultimately leading others. So um, bite down and don't let go, everyone. Absolutely. It is a fantastic blog. So make sure and, and I'll I'll put a link in the show notes so everybody can go and check that out. It is it is an outstanding blog. I love reading it. I really, really, truly do. Um, so, so I have two final questions for you. The, the first one is the question I ask everybody here on the on the podcast, and then the second one's going to be kind of a bonus question. But uh, first and foremost, you know, right now, Doctor Hobbs, what are you doing to lean into leadership? That's great. Uh, So my encouragement to everyone would be to find a way to level up your expressions of gratitude. 
And so um, there's, if you're, you know, if you're on the verge of sending a thank you email, you know, uh, to someone on your team, um, why don't you just go stand up and walk down to their office, you know, shake their hand, look them in the eye and tell them thank you and tell them why you're thanking them, right? It's very, very important that we express gratitude by name and by task, right? So when you're expressing gratitude to someone, use their name and tell them exactly why you are thanking them, why you're expressing gratitude to them. What have they done that has put you in a position to be grateful for them? And so level up your gratitude. There's some great research in the world of philanthropy uh, that's um, the number one preferred way to say thank you is to pick up the phone and call someone and tell them thank you on the phone. You know, it, it even trumps uh, thank you notes, which, you know, have a very important place as well. So I would just encourage everyone um, in leaning into leadership. Something I've been thinking a lot about is level up your expressions of gratitude in whatever way you were going to express your thanks. Figure out how you could turn up the dial on it just a little bit. Um, it's amazing how important it is that leaders demonstrate gratitude to the people around them. I love that. I think that's that's super important and super powerful. Um, great advice, folks. There, make make sure that uh, you follow through on on what Chris is sharing with you there. Now, I said there was a bonus question. Um, so, Chris, over the time that I've gotten to know you, um, I've discovered that you are one of the most well-read people that I know, and I'm sure, folks, that 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 came through very clearly here uh, throughout this this particular interview. So. What I'd like to ask of you for our listeners, for those people who love to love to read, you said leaders are readers, readers are leaders. What's maybe one or two books that either you're reading now or you've read recently that would just be an incredible gem for our listeners to mm. get it in their hands and yeah. get it consumed? Yeah, that's great. Um, so, you know, the educational space is a big deal. Uh, Darren, you're doing great work you know, encouraging and inspiring educators all over the country. And so for our educators that are listening, um, Generation Z Unfiltered uh, by a guy named Dr. Tim Elmore. Uh, Tim has uh, been in the social science as it pertains to education for quite a while now. Um, he's got a, a website, growingleaders.com. Um, and it really is about, hey, how are we, uh, what do we know about the next generation? Um, and he's probably, you know, it deeps dived from a social science research standpoint on, I'm going to say it's three generations now that he's really collected and conducted some impressive research and written some great books. And so um, one of his newest ones is Generation Z Unfiltered. A great, great book. Um, starts a little concerning, you know, because we're living in complex times. Um, but he really ends the book with um, some great inspiration and hope for what parents and educators can do to help guide uh, this this newest generation to to flourishing. So Generation Z Unfiltered by Dr. Tim Elmore. And then one that I've really, really have put to use here at Second Baptist is uh, Know What You're For by Jeff Henderson. Um, that's a great book that applies to really any organizational context. Um, and the biggest quote coming out of that book is, is by Jeff himself. Uh, and he says that uh, the the organizations, and you could flip out the word organizations for leaders, so that's what I'll do right now. The leaders of tomorrow will stop worrying about trying to make people fans of them, and they will be fully focused on being fans of their people. 
Uh, and so that is the, that's that's the strongest quote coming out of that book, in my opinion, at least. Uh, and so Jeff's book, know what you're for, you know, get real clear on, hey, what are you for? Um, and then um, it just just a really, really great book, in, in my opinion, that applies to a ton of different contexts in any organizational life, education or or outside education. I really appreciate those two shares. I, I will tell you, folks, there have been multiple times where Chris has recommended a book and I have gone and gotten that book and you have yet to steer me wrong. And I will definitely <laughs> be grabbing both of these. I can't wait to dive into them. Again, folks, I'll link those in the show notes too. So it's it's not hard for you to go and locate those books. Just click on the link and, and then get after it. And then go and get in co- uh, get in contact with Chris. Uh, Chris, what's the easiest way? I mean, you've mentioned Twitter. How do people get in touch with you? I will have that stuff in the show notes, but real quick, how, how yeah. do they connect with, with, with Dr. Chris Hobbs? Yeah, I still have my old coaching Gmail account up and running. So uh, you can reach me at uh, coachchrishobbs at gmail.com. Um, and then, you know, I'm super engaged in, in Twitter, really just because I want to encourage people, excite people. I think it's a great tool to do that. And so at dr underscore Chris Hobbs on Twitter, I uh, love to connect with people out there. Uh, and my friendship with Darren uh, is really a result of that medium and that platform. Uh, and so uh, really, really grateful, Darren, to be part of just a little part of all the incredible work you're doing, encouraging educators all over the country. So bravo to you, friend. Oh, I really appreciate that, man. Uh, I do. It means a lot. Um, I really appreciate our relationship. Um, you know, as you said early in the show, those those relationships that have been forged, you know, through social media, through Zoom, those types of things. Um, there will come a day when you and I will be in the same room, and I very much look forward to to that opportunity. I can't, I can't so, wait to see how tall you are. <laughs> yeah, they, <laughs> there you go. Right on. That's outstanding right there. So, um, Chris, thanks so much for being on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast, man. I hope you have an awesome day. I hope you have an incredible school year. And uh, just, again, a, a genuine thank you for, for sharing some incredible thoughts. Keep on keeping on, Darren. Thank you. Hopefully now you are as hooked on Dr. Chris Hobbs as I am. He's just such a wonderful human being, and I'm really grateful for him being here on the Leading Into Leadership podcast. So make sure you go give him a follow. Um, I've included all of his information and the two books that he recommended as well. I've put in the show notes. Um, And I want to jump off from there right into the pep talk this week. You know, I was thinking about this a little bit earlier in the week and thinking about the decisions that we make. Um, I've just taken on another new client, and when he and I met a couple of weeks ago and had some conversations, he really kind of honed in on something that I think a lot of leaders struggle with, and that is, honestly, you make probably 10,000 decisions a day, and this is true whether you're a classroom teacher, whether you're a principal, a superintendent, an AP, whatever role you might have, you make 10,000 decisions a day, and you might make four that aren't perfect. And for some reason, and this is true of educators, I think this is true of people that that aren't in the educational space too, what we do is we tend to hone in on those four not-so-good decisions. We can't remind ourselves of the 9,996 really good decisions we've made. We just beat ourselves up over the four that don't go so well. My challenge for you this week as you move forward 
is remind yourself when you have those e- moments in the evening when you're sitting, maybe you're awake at night or you know, you're just kind of winding down or you're drinking your coffee in the morning, whatever it is, when you're reflecting on those four decisions, I want you to stop yourself and ask yourself, hey, what are a couple of the decisions I made during the course of my day that I feel real good about? Because we tend to lose that balance. We tend to forget that there are all these incredible things that we do and we just beat ourselves up over those few little things. The last thing I want to say about the decisions that we make, of all 10,000 decisions that you make, make sure the one on how you're going to show up, you make correctly. Each and every morning when our feet hit the floor, we have that opportunity to decide how are we going to show up. Let's make sure every day that we bring everything we have, everything positive we can find to go and make a difference in the life of someone else. Thank you for joining me on the Leaning Into Leadership podcast. Have a road to awesome week. Thank you for listening to the Leaning Into Leadership podcast brought to you by Road to Awesome. Don't forget, click subscribe, give a review, and share this with somebody who might also enjoy leaning into leadership.